We're in a series called Heritage, where we said we're tracing our thread back to God. And we said we're, we're kind of born into a family and a culture, and, and if we're not connected to the larger plan and intent of God, we can have a sense of losing our bearings, uh, of wondering what is life really about? Where have we come from? Where are we going? What's the meaning of it all? And so that's what we've been trying to do is answer some of those questions. We've been working our way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to find some of those answers. And Pastor Jeff's been leading us through that set of conversations over the last few weeks. If you've missed any of those, I'd encourage you to get caught up online or you can catch a CD back in the bookstore. What he's been showing us is that as we looked into the book of Genesis, that God is creator. Uh, that this earth, this world did not just happen by accident or by chance, that there's a purposeful design to it. There's a loving God that created everything. And not only did he create the earth and all that is in it, but he created us. And he put his imprint or his image into us. What that means is that our very lives have value because of that. There's an intrinsic built-in value to human life. And we said, that changes everything. As we looked at the book of Genesis, we saw some of those key pieces that answer some huge questions for us. Last week, what Pastor Jeff led us into was kind of the, the beginning environment of creation for human beings. We looked at the Garden of Eden. We looked at Adam and Eve, the first created people. And we said that the context and the environment that God made for human beings, it was beautiful. It was harmonious. It was peaceful. Right? They were given meaningful work to do. They were given jobs to do. There was no pain, no strife, no tension, no sin. And Pastor Jeff showed us what happened when sin entered the world. It changed everything. There was devastating effects to relationships, both with human beings and then also with God. Adam and Eve were purged out of the Garden of Eden, kind of expelled from it, and now they're learning how to live life kind of apart from God, outside of the garden. And that's actually what we're going to pick up today. So, right, Adam and Eve are the first created people, but then they had kids. And their children, some of them are Cain and Abel, two boys grown into men. And that's the story that we're going to look at today and kind of camp out in. And one of the things we're going to look at and begin to answer is, what do we do now in a sinful world? And Cain and Abel are going to help us to understand what it looks like to respond to sin. How do we live life outside of the garden, so to say, and respond to sin now that we are people that have a sin nature? So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to spend a lot of time there today. If you don't have a Bible or a newer translation of the Bible, you can grab one of the Bibles from underneath your chairs there. You can actually take that home with you if you'd like, if you don't have a copy of it for yourself. Otherwise, well, let's turn there to Genesis chapter 4. And actually, I just want you to keep your Bibles open there, or if you have a smartphone or iPad, open it up to Genesis 4. And I, I want us to prepare to get ready there, but also I want us to give some context first before we jump into the story. Genesis 4 is open. I want us to know that Cain and Abel, the two sons that are born to Adam and Eve, are real historical people. Uh, they're not fables. They're not made up. They're not just created to tell a story. They're historical figures, real humans. That being said, the author of Genesis, most likely Moses, 
is crafting their story. He's telling us real historical facts, but he's presenting it in such a way that we see very important truth. Because these two brothers, they were born into the same family. They were both born in a, with a sinful nature, right? So they're born sinners, just like us. These two men are going to have completely polar opposite destinations. Abel, one of the sons, will be counted among the righteous. He will be considered a hero of the faith. He will be counted as one who should be followed and emulated. Abel is a hero and an author and one of the fathers of the faith. Now Cain, on the other hand, he is counted among the enemies of God. He's considered one of the damned. I want to show you this in Scripture hundreds of years later. Writers of Scripture reflect on the lives of Cain and Abel, and they would comment like this in Hebrews 11.4. I included this in your notes here. It says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. Abel is a hero of the faith. On the contrary, we look into the book of Jude to hear about Cain. He's talking about false teachers in this passage. He's in a tough situation, Jude is, and he says, woe to them. That's a phrase that we don't use very often. Basically, it means this. You are in serious trouble. Almost I feel bad for you. Cursed are you is the idea of woe to them. And he says about the false teachers, woe to them because they have taken the way of Cain. And he'll go on to name other rebels that are mentioned in Scripture. And that way that they have created is kind of the way of the damned. It's the way that leads into error. And he's talking about false teachers and he's saying, don't you see that these false teachers that are influencing you They're doing what Cain did, and they'll lead you into the error that Cain went into. Two brothers, same family, same sin nature, same environment. One found himself in heaven, listed among the righteous. One found himself in hell, listed among the damned. As we go into this story, we want to be able to see these two paths and how they play out because this has a drastic impact on our lives. All of it comes down to the attitude and the posture and the position of their hearts. It's what it's about. As we look into this story, I want us to see this. We're going to unpack it here, going to camp out in Genesis 4 for the rest of our time, and we're going to bounce back and forth and describe the way of Cain and the faith of Abel see if we can draw some principles that of faith as part of our heritage. Let me start us into Genesis chapter 4. Remember, Adam and Eve are purged from the garden. They're trying to figure life out now that they're in their new state. Genesis 4.1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man you got to get in Eve's shoes a little bit here, right? She's a created being. This whole thing is new to her. Imagine, ladies especially, her wonder at being the first mom, right? Imagine the expectation uh, of watching the child grow in her belly. 
we have four kids, my wife and I do, my wife Lori and I, and I remember thinking every time, this is so amazing to think that a human being grows inside of you and then you've got a person, I love what she says here, uh, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. It's interesting, my wife never quite said that statement um, when she was giving birth, but that's okay. That, I think it blew her mind. I think it blew Eve's mind. And I think Adam and Eve were filled with expectation for this child. What would Cain be? What would he do? Would he help us reconnect to God? I think all of that was in play as Cain came into the world. And actually, the word brought forth is the meaning of Cain's name. She named him after the process of giving birth. Verse 2. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel, Cain the older, Abel the younger. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Cain's the older brother, Abel's the younger. Cain is a farmer, Abel is a shepherd. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Let me talk to this for a moment. So what's happening now? Remember, these guys are born with a sinful nature, and they're interacting with God based on the reality that they have a sinful nature. They're bringing offerings to God, trying to make peace with God, because now they have a broken relationship with him. Cain is going to flippantly make an offering to the Lord out of his, kind of out of his profession, right? He's a farmer, so he's going to give some of the fruit of what he has made and earned He's going to offer that back to the Lord. Abel's offering is different. Abel, as a shepherd, is going to, going to look at his flock, and he's going to choose the very best of his flock, some of the firstborn. And not only does he give some of the best of his flock, but he's going to give the best part of the best of his flock, kind of the best of the best. He gives the fat portion. Their offerings look very different, and Abel is going to be thinking in his, in his heart and his mind, I remember that my mom and dad, Adam and Eve, they needed to have an animal slaughtered by the Lord himself, given, animal, given coverings or skins, scripture says, to cover over them because sin costs life. It's all in play in, in Abel's mind as he's making these decisions. Watch how God interacts. Middle of verse 4. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. Listen, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. One of the things we see that's part of the way of Cain is this, that, that it doesn't take sin seriously. It doesn't take sin seriously. Cain came to God in his offering, and this was the attitude, the position of his heart. Cain did not think his sin was a big deal. Do you know how we know that? He didn't give the best of what he had. He didn't come offering a life in response to his sin. 
he came with a sense of entitlement. And when God rejected his offering, Cain responded with anger. He came back to God and he was frustrated and he was angry. And we're going to see in a minute that he was jealous. If Cain was alive today, Cain would be a guy that goes to church. Cain would be a guy that that came to church and interacted with God. Cain even prayed, talked to God. He even threw money in the plate, right? He made an offering. And Cain would be the guy that is religious and would come to God and want everything that he wants out of life, but with a religious veneer around the surface of it. And if God doesn't give him what he wants, he's going to become angry. That's how that shows up. If I come to God and I come to church and I go through the motions and and I expect God to come through for me. I expect the job to come through. I expect the wife to be fixed or the kids to be fixed or my problems to go away or healing to come. And when it doesn't, I'm out of here. Cain wasn't struck by his sin. After he brought his offering, God could have said, Cain, your heart is completely out of line. I'm done with you. God does not interact with Cain like that. God comes to Cain as a loving father, as a a loving God would, and he appeals to him, Cain, listen, sin is crouching at your door, son. This thing that you love so much, your sin, your anger, your jealousy, it's going to steal your life. You need to wake up, Cain. Wake up. Get a hold of this, and you must rule over it. He appeals to him. He calls to him. We're going to see in a minute that Cain has nothing to do with it. Let's look at the flip side. The way of Cain doesn't take sin seriously. The faith of Abel embraces godly sorrow. Embraces godly sorrow. This is a phrase out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, You can jot that down if you want. I'm going to go ahead and just read it. And if you miss nothing else, or if you gain anything from this, catch this set of verses. This is the Apostle Paul talking to a church that he loves. And he introduces this phrase, godly sorrow. He wrote this church a letter appealing to them to deal with their sin, to take their sin seriously. And look at how it plays out in verse 9. You can just listen along. Paul says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. So I want to stop there for a minute. Did you hear that? Paul said, you became sorrowful as God intended. Did you know that at times it's God's will for us to be sorrowful? Did you know that it's, it's not always God's will that we are happy? Not every moment. This makes the most sense to me when I think about my kids. I love that my kids are happy. I want them to be happy. When my kids are doing something that's harmful, 
when my kids are doing something that's wrong or that's harmful to others, in that moment, I do not want them to be happy. I want them to be sorrowful. And I think of my two, I've got four kids, and uh, they're all pretty young still. And I think of one of my children, Uriah, he's six, and, and he is going to show up, his sorrow is going to look a certain way. It's going to look like godly sorrow. So all I have to do when he does something wrong is I look at him the right way, and I say, Uriah, it's his name, Uriah, man, he just melts. Right? He knows he's in trouble. He responds the right way. And I know, parents, that's not going to last forever. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. But he responds the right way. And I know that he, his heart is broken because our relationship has tension in it. And he cares about that relationship. His sorrow is godly. Now, I've got another child, and that looks quite a bit different. My five-year-old daughter, man, I have to go to war with that little girl to have her heart in the right place. There's a difference of sorrows, and I want to show you what they look like. Here's how it plays out in the rest of the passage. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what, e- what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Paul says there's two kinds of sorrow. When I sin, when I break God's command, there's a sorrow that shows up that says, I am broken because I've broken the heart of God. I recognize that that God loves me, that he puts the commands in my life for my own good. And when I break those commands, and it breaks my heart because I've offended a holy God. This is where my son would show up and say, man, I know my dad loves me. I know I've disappointed him. It breaks my heart. This is what Abel did. When he came with his offering, and he came what kind of we would say, with blood, recognizing that sin costs life. He came to God broken with godly sorrow, saying, God, I've sinned. Whatever you want to do with me is fine. I come to you. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I'm broken by my sin. Now, worldly sorrow looks a lot different. When I'm in the place of having worldly sorrow and I sin, I might not even call it sin. I might call it a mistake. And I might look at that mistake and say, I'm not really broken that I've hurt or offended a holy God. I'm not concerned that much about that relationship. What I'm sorrowful about is that I got caught. There's a difference between sorry, being sorry that I did something, and being sorry that I got caught for something. You guys know how this looks with your children if you have them. When I got caught, I had to pay the consequences, and that's what I'm really upset about. I had to pay the fine. I had to have the ramifications in my marriage. I had to lose the house. I had to go to jail. I had to whatever that consequence looks like. Because that is a worldly sorrow that looks at my sin 
and really isn't broken about it. It's really not broken because I did something wrong. It's because I have to suffer and I don't really get to do what I want to do. That's where Cain was. Cain brought his offering and he had a worldly sorrow. He's a guy that shows up and says, you don't want what I have to offer. He came entitled to God. None of the brokenness that Abel had showed up in Cain's heart at all. Abel embraced godly sorrow, a brokenness. Is it's the main difference between Cain and Abel is the response to sin. Watch what happens. The next piece of the story in Genesis chapter 4 as it plays out. God would have just given Cain a warning. He said, you need to deal with this sin problem, Cain. You need to own this or it's going to own you. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The writer writes this in such a way that as it seems as immediately as God gave him the warning, he went and acted out. He responded like a rebellious child does to a, a father or mother that he has a broken relationship with. He was jealous that Abel received the affection of God he was angry that God rejected him. So what did he do? He premeditated murder. He looked and said, Abel's in my way. Abel has what I want. I'm angry that Abel has that. And so he goes and he kills him. How did he do it? Did he use one of his farming tools? Did he find a rock? We don't have any of the details how that played out. We don't know if he left his brother's body there to rot. But in Cain's heart, he let the motivations and the evil and the sin of his heart run wild to the point where he led into murder, killing his brother. As you know what's so disturbing about this story, it was disturbing for me is that as I looked into this story, I saw myself. And I saw more of me and Cain than I want to admit. Think about it. For me, it, it's pride. I saw a comfort level with sin that is similar to Cain's. Because think about what are the barriers between my heart motivations, the evil of my heart, and me actually doing what Cain did. Think about it. You guys ever get, you ever get jealous at work? Somebody ever get promoted over you? You ever look at the neighbors and wish that you had what they had? You ever get angry and seethe and burn with anger? It can be as simple as something cutting you off in traffic. It doesn't take much, does it? You ever have your heart pound with adrenaline because you're so angry at your boss or your spouse or your children? You ever have 
jealousy and think, how did that person get included in that social circle and I didn't? Why do they love them and not me? Why do they have those gifts and I don't? Why do they get to and I, when's my turn? You see the evil of our hearts? What if the only barrier between the evil motivations in my heart and me doing what Cain did is really social pressure? What if, what if it's just, I don't want to go to jail and, and I don't want to get caught? What would I do if I knew that I wouldn't get caught and I knew there was no ramifications and I knew that I would be able to keep my family, keep everything intact, and everything would go on the same. Guys, if we take that all the way back to a heart level, do we not do what Cain did because we're so pure in heart? Or because we fear the consequences? But inwardly, jealousy and coveting and anger and complacency with sin, that heart looks a lot like Cain's heart. Guys, Cain doesn't genuinely love people. He didn't love his brother. On the way of Cain, there is no genuine love for people. Cain didn't look at his brother Abel and see a brother a human being created in the image of God. He saw somebody who was in his way. And guys, if that's not you and me, I'll tell you that I'm just not being honest. There are times when I see people the same way. As I looked into this story, I saw what the author wants us to know is that aside from the grace of God, we are all Cain that we're all on the way of Cain. And the only rescue to the way of Cain is embracing the faith of Abel. The faith of Abel is placed in God. Let me talk about this a bit. So here's what Abel did. Abel looked at his response to God and he believed God. There is no other way to ever become right with God other than faith, and that has always been true of all people in all times. So we look at where we are in the plan of God and we respond by faith in what God has said and done. Abel looked at his parents, their offering, he offered his best to God, he brought a life for sin, and he did it by faith. He believed that he needed God's mercy, he did it through godly sorrow, he needed forgiveness, and he embraced God as his only hope. Is here's where we do this today. Our part in God's plan is we connect with Jesus. We look at where what Jesus has done for us is the only sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross for us. And we can, like Abel, put our faith in Jesus because that is the only way we can ever be rescued from the way of Cain. It's the only way. I look at Jesus and say, Jesus, there is no way I was going to have my heart forgiven and my heart cleansed. You know that Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, 
It's the equivalent of murder. It all comes back to the heart. And my heart is the one that needs Jesus to die for me. If I embrace the faith of Abel, what that looks like as I place my faith in God is to believe in the person of Jesus. Here's where this gets really tricky. Ready? Cain's way, uh, not taking sin seriously, not having genuine love for others, pushing forward on what he really wants in life, that way can appear successful. Sometimes it looks a lot like the person who has the faith of Abel. Play this out with me real quick. The, the rest of the story, I don't have time to read it now, but the rest of the story of Cain goes like this. Cain sins, he gets in trouble from God, God curses him, but Cain lives, Cain's married, Cain has children, Cain actually goes to build a civilization. He actually builds a city and names his son after it. Cain's a guy who goes to church. Cain's a guy who prays. Cain's a guy who throws money in the plate. Cain's a guy who has successful children. Cain's a guy who's a successful businessman. Listen, Cain is in hell today. Did you follow that? None of these things in and of themselves are bad or evil. They're just incomplete. Cain had the appearance of being a person that loved God. He made offerings. He interacted. He showed up. But he never had the brokenness at a heart level that Abel had. He never saw his sin and felt the need for somebody to die for his sin. That's what makes the difference between Cain and Abel. They were both sinners. It's not that Abel was a better person than Cain. It had nothing to do with that. It had all to do with where their faith landed. It had everything to do with the state and the position and the posture of their hearts. Abel's heart was soft to God. Whatever God you want, it's it. I'm yours. I'm in. Cain's heart was hard to God. God, I'm going to get my way, and if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to push forward, and I'm going to be angry with you, and I'm going to make it look good by doing religious stuff as a veneer. The way of Cain can appear successful, but boy, but the faith of Abel leads to greatness in heaven. I want you to feel this, guys. This is... <clears throat> This is anti our culture. We look at the story of Abel and it looks tragic. Abel died young. Abel was overpowered by an evil person. Abel today is a hero. He's a rock star in heaven. He's a guy that in heaven, his name is valued. For this small portion of life that we have here on earth, Abel appears to be a victim and a loser. For the rest of eternity, Abel's name 
will be included with the righteous and God will view him with favor. Cain's life appeared to be successful. He appeared to be the victor. He pushed forward on his agenda. Listen, for the rest of his life, it will be spent separated from God in hell. When Cain interacted with God, God would look at him and say, Cain, I never knew you. I longed to know you. I longed to rescue you from this way. But you were stubborn in it. Your heart was hardened rather than broken. Guys, we have to abandon the way of Cain. We're all on it to some degree or another. We have to abandon the way of Cain and adopt the the faith of Abel, the way of Abel, embrace his brokenness for his sin. And here's where this shows up for us. As I was studying this and working this through, I, the questions that were popping up in my mind and my heart were, Ryan, where's your heart? Where is your heart? Is it soft to God today? Ryan, do you want what God wants, regardless of cost? Is, you, is your heart embracing godly sorrow still? Or are you starting to fix in on your agenda so hard, so stubbornly, that you're on the way to losing your soul? at least in practice. Guys, we we have to let Jesus break up the hardness of our heart, the complacency and the comfort that we have with sin. And some of us, as you're hearing the way of Cain described, you might say, Ryan, I grew up in that. That's been my life of growing up at church in a religious system. I've pursued what I wanted in life, went through the motions. I think I'm on the way of Cain for real. If that's where you are today, guys, I would encourage you, I'd plead with you. Will you allow the gravity of your sin to set in? Will you embrace the faith that Abel had? Will you look at Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and will you say, this is the only way I can be rescued from the way of Cain? Save me, Jesus. And some of you have never done that before. Today, would you ask God to look at your heart And would you say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me for my sin. I see myself in Cain. I know my heart needs forgiven. Because if you never made that decision, would you make that decision for the first time today? Just tell Jesus you need him to save you.
tell him, I, I want to be broken like Abel was broken. It's for the rest of us. Just ask you, would you be real honest today about the state of your heart? Really, does it look more like Cain? Does it look more like Abel? Would you ask Jesus the question today, Lord, what, what do I need to do to get my heart back here? Lord, what do I need to do with you in order to have the joy of my salvation again? Where I hated sin and I wanted what you wanted. I want to be close to you again. I want my heart there. As will you wrestle this through? Let Jesus interact with you this morning. Would you embrace the faith of Abel? Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you for your grace on our lives. Because there was no way we would ever be saved apart from your sacrifice. We would be all bound into the way of Cain. Jesus, thank you that you can set us free from that. That your sacrifice paid for our sin. And Lord, I ask for myself and for my friends here, Lord, would you forgive us for our complacency, for our comfort level with sin in our lives and in our hearts? Lord, we want to take steps back to you today in our hearts. Work with us this morning, Lord. Draw us back to you as we draw near. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.